Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the RIP to our podcast. And yes, it is me, Gary. I am back hosting again. I will be your tour guide for today. Um, and as you can probably tell by the title, we are talking Halloween Horror Nights history, in particular 1994 Halloween Horror Nights 4. But I can't do it alone, so I'm going to bring along two other tour guides to uh, to help a little bit. So, hello, Tim. Hey, good morning or good afternoon to you. Right? Afternoon for me. Yep. Yep. I know. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. It's uh, it's a nice day here, unlike where you are. <laughs> Um, yeah that's right <laughs> we were just talking about storms and stuff still so. uh but yep. i'm good i'm ready i want to talk about some history man yep it's been a long time coming we've uh we, well ash has had these shows planned for a while but we've had other opportunities come up and then horror night season and all that so um during the off season i think that's the the perfect time um but ash the other tour guide how are you doing hey what's up gary yeah i'm doing good uh it's always good to get back to these history episodes i love talking about these but yeah how, how are you doing i'm good we've um if anyone you know has friends or family in the uk you know that we've had some pretty awful storms yeah. um i think i think if florida had this storm you guys would be 100 percent locked down but we on the radio like the presenter literally just said make sure you wrap up with a big coat <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty much the only what what did you have? Like a hundred mile an hour winds? Yeah, yeah, we would have definitely been shut down. Yeah, we were uh, we were business as usual, and I had the big coat on and the hat, and managed to survive. And my fence is tied up with about ten different bits of rope, just to just to stop it coming down. So, yeah, fun and games, but yeah, it's, uh, it's not as bad today. Um, we still do have 40 mile an hour winds when I checked this morning and it's raining. So if you can hear some crazy noise in the background, I apologize. I've put um, I've put cushions and quilts all over the floor to try and drown some of the noise out because um, I'm sitting right next to a window and the rain is beating down so hard. But uh, we'll get through it, guys. I'm sure we will. Um, but Ash, I just want to say a massive thank you to you for putting this show together. Um if you don't know, Ash is our um, resident historian, and he does all our research and everything like that for the show for us, and he puts all these scripts together and stuff. Um, so thank you. Very excited. Absolutely. Legend. And also, we have one tour guide missing today, so I just want to say, Luke, get well soon. We miss you. Miss hope you, back. Hope you're back miss for the next Luke. one. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll not go into details about uh, why Luke's poorly, because... Uh, it's pretty gross. So yeah, we'll just bring the tone of the show down straight away. Oh my god! So guys, Halloween Horror Nights four. Are you ready? I am ready. I am. So it's been a while since we've used the the, the phone booth, isn't it? Did it? So we only we only sent one person back this time because we didn't want to risk yeah. all of us getting stuck in 1994. So Tim, we sent you back in time. We we did. I, I we had to, you know, we had to maybe give it a little jump start before, you know, getting it going again because it's been so long. But yeah, yeah it worked out good. Yeah, turned it off, turned it back on again. Yeah, couple exactly. of times. Yeah, <laughs> put a couple of quarters to, in, and we were yeah, good I was to able go. To make it there and make it back, so we're good. <laughs> right? Should we? Uh, should we jump back in time and see what Tim had to say in nineteen eighty four? Yeah, let's do it. Yep.
The now annual Halloween Horror Nights event, located in Orlando, was marketed as the fourth annual Universal Studios Florida Halloween Horror Nights. Once again, the event was located in Universal Studios Florida. Knowing that they had a hit on their hands, Universal incorporated the Ghoul School in an attempt to take scares to the next level. Makeup and dress tutorials were given in a crash course on how to act maniacal, mutated, and zombified. Auditions for iconic roles such as the Rat Lady and Roachman were also advertised for and taught at some of these sessions. Each graduate of the Ghoul School had to pledge allegiance to the event, and now the official term of the scare actor was here and would stay forever. Another first for the event, and one that would shape the event forever, would be the inception of the very first scare zone. During these early years, the event was still primarily aimed at locals as there wasn't much in terms of national advertising at this point. Radio, commercials, and local newspaper articles made up the bulk of the advertising. The marketing in the event guide featured a demonic skull-like face inside the Universal Studios arches. Bats can be seen flying out of the figure's mouth and out through the arches. The sky above is shrouded in red blood-like clouds and a bolt of lightning is striking the skull. Two gargoyles on either side of the arches round off this iconic-looking poster. Halloween Horror Nights 4 would run over eight nights, which incorporated the three weekends that led up to Halloween. This included the 14th through 15th, 21st through 22nd, and 28th through 31st of October to make this the longest event to date by three days and also had the longest span of consecutive days with four. The event ran from 7 p.m. to 12 a.m. on non-peak nights and from 7 p.m. to 1 a.m. on peak nights. Single night admission to the event was $36 plus tax, but was $31 for Florida residents. Advanced or early bird tickets could also be purchased by Florida residents for $26 plus tax. And once again, Universal has partnered with Pepsi with a special price of $21 with a coupon. Day guests were also targeted with a special horror upgrade of $17.95 as long as you had valid day admission to the park. The event would feature four haunted houses, five shows, and the inaugural scare zone. Four haunted houses would, at the time, be the most they have ever featured along with the first ever scare zone and a myriad of shows which meant for an action-packed night. It was accounted that, especially on peak nights, all the attractions could be completed in one visit, which helped bring back repeat visitors. Even though the event was still in its infancy, the popularity of the event was on full display. The first house was the return of the Dungeon of Terror from its one-year hiatus from the event. The popular maze was rehoused in the extended queue of the earthquake attraction as the Jaws queue could not be used to accommodate it. This would be the first of a long list of houses that would eventually be held in this location. The house was said to be very different to the first two iterations, and the synopsis for the house stated, There is no apparent escape. Are you to become the next victim of the night? Secondly was the return of the Psychopath Maze. It was located in the World Expo area and housed in the Bates Motel. As the house was so popular from the previous year, the tent that was built behind the Bates Motel was used once again to bring back this haunted house. It featured all the popular rooms from the previous year as well as some added scenes. These were the only two haunted houses featured in this location as the facade was destroyed completely later in the 90s to make way for Woody Woodpecker's Kid Zone. The description on the event guide read, At the Bates Motel, you can check in. Mother Bates will check you out. Located in Nazarman's, the third haunted house was titled Hell's Kitchen. Just like the previous year, Universal decided to build a haunted house in the New York area between the buildings located there. Structures had been built down these alleys so a maze could be constructed here. Just like the year before, this house was very similar to the Slaughterhouse from 1993. The description from the event guide said, A host of demonic butchers chase you through this bloody flight of terror. This house was very much built on blood and gore. Finally, the fourth and final house was the Boneyard. This haunted house was located in the Boneyard area where guests could see various old movie props. This is now the Universal Music Plaza. 
Universal built a tent and a structure at the back of the boneyard area, and the props were temporarily rehomed to make way for this maze. The boneyard had two different entrances to two different mazes for two different experiences. Although this area would be used in the future for scare zones, this was the first and only time this location was used for a haunted house. The event guide synopsis said, The catacombs of a recently evacuated insane asylum. The boneyard is not easy to escape. The inaugural and first official scare zone this year was located on Hollywood Boulevard and was called Horrorwood. The scare zone featured three groups, the Chainsaw Drill Team, the Lizzie Borden Band and Axe Corps, and the Monks in the Hood. What was different to prior events was the use of props specifically tailored to the theming of the area. The event guide said, Dare to enter the gates of darkness and journey down to Horrorwood Boulevard. Come face to face with hundreds of our most wanted scare actors. Witness talented entertainers from beyond the grave, including the Chainsaw Drill Team, the Lizzie Borden Band and Axe Corps, and Monks in the Hood. A sinister soundtrack was composed as music for the area as screams filled the night and red and green lights flashed to help set the ambiance. Scare actors were given free reign to interact with guests and ramp up the scares. Bodies hung from trees that were placed around Hollywood and people were trapped in cages, presumably the next victims to hang from the trees. This was a very successful area for most accounts and thus the scare zone was born. The first of the five shows was Rock and Roll Inferno, located on Mel's Drive-In Stage. This had many bands playing famous and popular songs to give the Halloween party vibe. Jerry Lee Lewis, Herb Williams, and Gibraltar all performed on this stage to the partygoers. Man vs. Machine, To the Death. Next was the return of Robosaurus to the New York area. Similar to the previous renditions of the show, this version also featured stunt actors performing next to Robosaurus. Some even shot him from the rooftops from the buildings in the New York area. The Devil and His Showgirls was a satanic musical review. Join the lowest of the lounge lizards and his fiendish femme fatales at the swingingest cabaret this side of purgatory. From multiple accounts, this was a scantily clad Vegas-style show featuring rock and roll songs. The Ghost with the Most made another appearance in the game show, The Price is Fright, located in the Animal Actor stage. Beetlejuice is the host for the wildest game show in the world. Audience participation was prevalent here as things were thrown and blasted into the crowd. It featured a spooky game show with teams playing against each other, spinning the Wheel of Misfortune. This was a very popular show, and several couples even got engaged and married at this event. Finally was the third rendition of the popular pop culture show of Bill and Ted's Excellent Halloween Adventure. This time it was called Bill and Ted Meet Time Cop and was located in the Wild West stage. This show was reportedly the first one to fully utilize pop culture icons instead of horror movie villains. Some references in the show included a fight between Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding, the Terminator appearing to save the day, and O.J. Simpson. This concluded the fourth installment of the ever-growing Halloween Horror Nights. By all accounts, another successful year. The success of this particular event would lead to the acquisition and licensing of an icon to headline the event, more dates than ever before, and marketing and advertising were about to take off to spread the word of the biggest Halloween party around. Some of the rides and attractions that were open. Confrontation, Hitchcock's 3D Theater, The Fantastic World of Hanna-Barbera, E.T. Adventure, Beetlejuice's Graveyard Review, Jaws, and Back to the Future The Ride. Right, guys, we are back from 1994. Well, we're not. Me and Ash stayed in the future. Tim, did you have fun? I did. Was it good? It was good. You didn't run in. You didn't run into your uh, your younger self, did you? Because that's you you can't be doing that. No, I tried not to. So I wanted to just to see what was going on at that time. But uh, (laughs) I was like, no, I better not. I better not. 
<laughs> right, so Ash has put together a awesome um, audiobook format. As you you should know if you've listened to the other ones, we we decided to do things a little bit differently. If this is the first time you're listening, um, we like to do a sort of audiobook factual side of things, and then afterwards we sort of do a little discussion. Um, we go over everything what we said in the audiobook section, and then we just discuss it, um, talk about what we would like, what we wouldn't have liked, all that sort of stuff. So I'm going to kick it off, and I'm going to get the sort of more boring stuff out of the way, and I'm going to list um, some of the rides and attractions that were open during the event. So first up, we had Confrontation, and then we had the Fantastic World of Hanna-Barbera, uh, we had Hitchcock's 3D Theatre, which I would have absolutely loved to get to go through. We had Beetlejuice's Graveyard Review, another thing that is a huge miss from Universal. Yeah. We also had Jaws open. We had Back to the Future now. And we had The Goat, which is E.T. Um, Jamie Walter's musical show, which was on the Beetlejuice stage. Um, and we had The Fox Halloween Bash which was stars from various Fox shows making special appearances throughout the backlot all evening. So that, that that just sounds totally different. A few few different things there, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, do you know what? Yeah. The, the one big thing here is the only thing that has survived out of all that list is E.T. It's crazy. I know. That's nuts. Especially when Jaws was such a big hitter and E.T. is the one that's... I mean, I'm, you guys know me. I love E.T. I think I've never met a person who doesn't, but yep. I think Jaws was the the bigger e-ticket attraction at the time and probably still would be if it survived. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I really loved Amity. I loved the attraction. I think changing it to Diagon Alley was a big, big thing for the company financial wise. And Oh yeah. You know, I, I think it, it was an, it was a necessity for the park in an ideal world. I'd love both of them to exist together, but I mean, yeah. it, 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 it makes sense. Maybe we can all get a trip to Japan. We can ride it out there. Yeah, yeah, if you think about it, Jaws and, and Amity had such a big footprint in the park. Yeah. Um, and E.T., I've never seen it from above, but I can't imagine it taking up that much space. Um, but you, yeah. you, you're 100% right, Ash, financially for Universal. I think that's what cemented Universal as like a very, very strong competitor for Disney in Orlando. Sure. I, yeah, um, I, yeah, I agree completely. I think as well they put so much money into Jaws as well because obviously they had two versions of it and yeah, pump a lot of money in there. But yeah, like I said, in an ideal world, I'd like them to exist together. But so good. Yeah. So uh, I could literally go to this event and not do any of the horror night stuff. <laughs> you know, I'd be happy just to go on the original Kong, Hanna Barbera. You know, I would love to see Hitchcock. Um, I never got a ride Jaws either or Back to the Future, so I would be in my element just like looping through all these attractions. Yeah, I still, still, still do that today. I can go to the park, you don't have to do any attractions, you just listen to area music, just people watch, look at you know everything that's going on. But I Definitely. Right, Ash, I'm going to pass it on to you and you can talk us through the shows. Yeah, absolutely. So just before the shows as well, just to kind of piggyback on the Fox kind of tie-in that you just mentioned as well there. So um, the show 90210 is the Fox kind of tie-in. So uh, Halloween Horror Nights or Universal itself, they did partner with Fox this year. So they had like a Halloween event uh, for a whole month of October on Fox. And then there was Halloween Horror Nights commercials every time there was obviously advertisements. Um, and it had like people from Fox, like 90210 characters 
Uh, I can't think of any other Fox shows that were out then from the from the top of my head, but it showed them going through like mazes and kind of scare zones from the prior year, like obviously famous people at the time, which uh, is kind of like the Fox tie-in, which is uh, which is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, on to the shows. Uh, firstly, we'll go over. Um, Let's let's do. I'll, I'll save Bill and Ted for last. So we'll do the Rock and Roll Inferno, which was on the Mel's uh, driving stage. Um, this is a kind of recurring thing. They always have the kind of rock and roll show. Um, they had, I think, they had Jerry Lee Lewis on that year. Uh, Herb Williams and Gibraltar, uh, to name, I guess the, um, I guess the most famous of them. But um, yeah, so this was this was like a mainstay, and it would be kind of intervals on the nights like i think it was seven eight nine thirty and eleven um like eight like p.m but yeah i think this is not something they do every year now because they have shows um like contracted shows now but yeah different bands on every night i mean what, what would you think about that just just i guess just a band on just while you're just kind of walking on you can obviously sit have a stand have a beer and watch it because it was you know it's not a sit-down show it's on the the Mel's driving stage but i mean what are you thinking just to add to that kind of ambience now i would like that because over in that section of the park is is is, is quite open for you to just stand and grab a beer and there's that little sort of beer cart over from from that way next to um the entrance to uh central park there's a little beer store there so it'd be cool to grab a beer and just stand and and listen because that was one of the reasons why i loved academy of villains when they were there when the first you know did the the original stage because you could walk past and just catch it as and when you didn't have to spend a huge chunk of your time queuing up and mm-hmm. you know waiting in that holding area and then going into the the theater and, and grabbing a seat and waiting it just took a huge chunk out of your night where you could just if you were walking past you could just stand for 10 15 minutes and have a little watch and a listen and then move on um but well, that would be sort of cool to bring that back, sort of like a Mardi Gras thing, like a concert type thing. Um, get some small local Orlando bands on um, and just have a good time, basically. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. You don't, you don't need to even watch the whole show either. You know, you can just stop, like you said, stop, get a beer, take it in for a little bit and then kind of go about your, um, your night as well. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. The next up, Robosaurus. Has anybody seen like Robosaurus before in like... Um, don't they have them like like monster truck rallies and things like that? Has anybody seen Robosaurus before? I've only ever saw a photo that that Julie shared with us when we had her yeah, on the show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, I have seen the Robosaurus at um, an event in the future. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is just, I mean, what's not to like, you know, a big, obviously, dinosaur picking up metal breathing fire crushing metal dropping it to the floor i mean what a spectacle to have and this is was the this is the last time you see robosaurus here for a while um but yeah i mean what's not to like about that um big things in there imagine Uh, how many health and safety documents (laughs) would have to be signed to have this in 2022 okay so this is where i was going to go with this ash are you saying this was the last time robosaurus shows for a while for a while okay so do do we know off the top of our head when the last time robosaurus has appeared oh yeah yeah um 2006 all right so we're talking 16 years ago what so this thing has to be somewhere in universal property right that's a good point so robosaurus was like um it was i don't know if the 
Was it not just like a leased thing? Right, right. I was going to say, like, for lack of a better term, rented, rented Robosaurus for the. um, Ah, okay. Yeah, because it was it was at two, um, it was at three, and it was at four, and it didn't come back again until the Sweet Sixteen. So I think they had it at Halloween Horror Nights two. They it was such a success. They brought it back. Maybe maybe they even leased it, like even before the event was over for the following year because it was so popular. See, I didn't yeah. know if this was like their own, like this is theirs. They built it. It's, you know, on property somewhere. It's hidden in a building. Nobody knows where it is. You know, it's under lock and key somewhere. Yeah. Because I'm, <laughs> I want to know if they'll ever bring this back because I think this would be just so amazing. Even if they just had it as a prop in a scare zone, right. like breathing right. fire every 15 to 30 minutes and then built a scare zone around it. How cool would that be to have like sort of like metal minions? you know, with flamethrowers and all that. So I, mean, I thought I just think that would be awesome. Yeah, so. I mean, for the Sweet 16, they kind of made it similar to kind of where you're going with that as well. So it's funny you say that. Um, right, right. But um, yeah, I mean, such a such a spectacle. I mean, and at, at that time as well, just think, we're, we're in 1994 here as well. So there's not much, in terms of like cinema, there's not much, well, if there is, there's not very good CGI going on and things like that. So I mean, everything's kind of at face value. So to see this out on the streets in 1994, it must've been something pretty special. I think that's why they kept bringing it back. Yeah. And then what we'll do next, we'll go on to uh, the animal actor stage, which is um, the prices fright. So Beetlejuice, basically this, this was a, this was a return. This was also here last year. Uh, well, 1993, um, basically it's a game show. I assume similar to the Price is Right. Uh, that's obviously where it's got its name from. Just a pun on that. There's no real good, uh, and I've checked everywhere, checked all the forums and everything like that. Uh, there's no real good, I guess, first-hand accounts of this. Um, there was audience participation. Um, things were like thrown into the crowd as well, or blasted into the crowd. I'm not 100 sure what it was. I know they had something called a Wheel of Misfortune. So obviously, bringing other kind of game shows into the mix as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, throwing things into the audience, having audience participation to like spooky or gruesome things, I don't think is something they're going to get away with now in 2022. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, I wish I wish there was like a even even a grainy one, or I wish there was just some video or some media showing this. I'd, I would have loved to see it see it in its entirety, but yeah, just somebody's, nothing really good there. Somebody's got to have like some kind of home video, home video, right? like somebody. It, the only thing with the home video is if it, it's got to stand the test of time to be converted into like digital, you know. Yeah, um, I know. I know. That's the only. That's the only kind of issue. Because yeah. I, I bet you now Universal record every, oh, every absolutely. single thing from yep. the event. You know, even if they don't release it from you know walkthroughs to scare zones without any guests to all this sort of stuff. But I don't think at the time they would have thought to do it. Because you remember when we spoke to Julie and she said like she was sitting in a trailer with a borrowed computer, you know, with a, with a tiny budget. At the time, they're not going to think, I should probably record this. Yeah. No, I, I wish I, it did, I, I though. Agree. Yeah, I agree completely. And then, and that goes, that goes for someone like the Mazers too, uh, especially back then. There's no going to be, there's no cameras that are going to do well in dark, dark light or uh, yeah, back then, yeah, okay. and plus as well, imagine taking you know an original camcorder 
you know, to, to Universal at that time. <laughs> my my auntie and uncle had one from around 98, 2000-ish, and it was huge. Like, yeah. you needed two hands to hold it. Yeah, it reminds me of the one that you put on your shoulder, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like a, a full-on cinema camera these days. Right. That's what you would have to literally walk around the event with. Yep. It's pretty cool. And then... Just before we get onto the main event show, we have a show called The Devil and His Showgirls, which was in the New York area, uh, stage um, set up there, which was more like a, like a Vegas-style cabaret show with rock and roll songs, which to me, it goes all the way back from the original Fright Nights. You know, the, their main goal here, like Julie says, was to create a Halloween party, right? You're having a good time at a Halloween party. Yeah. I think that just... I just, this just, it's, again, it's the same as the Rock and Roll Inferno kind of show. You're walking past it. There's there's an act up on the stage that goes in intervals the night. You just have a beer, you're watching. I mean, just kind of hitting home that Halloween party, if you will. And that's where the event is like totally flipped, isn't it? From the earlier times, it, like you say, it was more of a party with, you know, a few houses yep. to go into all houses with, you know, small entertainment, you know, one, two shows where, where the balance was quite flipped back in the early days, which I think would have been still really cool to see. Yeah, I think I'm going to throw this one to you, Tim. So going back to Fright Nights and even number two and number three, where there was at most three houses, right? Right. And Fright Nights had one house. Do you think the inception of this was... Cause there was there were so many side side shows, if you will. There's so many mini stages set up with bands on and rock and roll shows and mm-hmm. ambience, whatever. Do you think initially this was supposed to be, listen, let's have a bunch of shows on. We'll do one haunted house. We'll see how it goes. And then it's gone, well, actually, the Dungeon of Terror, this house is really, really good, really, really popular. So they said, actually, we'll start incorporating more houses into this and kind of rein in the shows a little bit. I mean, are you thinking that's where they've gone with this? or? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I think, I mean, just in the beginning, they probably, you know, we've spoken to Julie, you know, they didn't know what they were doing yet. Right. You know what I mean? So I think after those first couple of years, I think they're, they're starting to, to get that picture like, oh, you know what? People are really liking houses. So maybe we need to add more. Um, yep. uh, and now like, it's funny because, you know, we all look at this and think about this and it's like, I wish we had some more of these shows. Yeah. Not to take away from any houses. I don't want the houses taken away. I still want, you know, 10 houses every year. That'd be fantastic. Um, but I feel like I feel like there is an opportunity missed because there's a lot of areas where they can just put little sideshows. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree as well. And a lot of those sideshows from the kind of original days were located in Amity, which was perfect because it was there was kind of like those kind of things set up anyway and and it was always kind of fourth of july in amity too so it was it kind of worked perfectly there as well but i agree those little side shows even if you have even if you have like a mini stage you know like even where the blues brothers perform right yeah Um, exactly and just setting up there but i mean just think of all the places they could just set a small stage i mean i i want to see it i want to see sword swallowing i want to see you know fire breathing you know Mm -hmm. like just i don't know just the the weird bizarre stuff i think that would just make it you know, I don't know if they're waiting for like a themed year where they're, you know, talking about carnival or something like that to, to incorporate. But to answer your question, yes, I do think that, you know, they after, 
you know, seeing the responses that they got for the first couple of years with the, uh, the first house, I think they were like, yeah, I think we have an opportunity here to increase this. Cool. Yep. I agree. I agree too. Uh, then finally, the final show is, I guess the main event of this year and it will be for the next, you know, 20 and changes. It's Bill (laughs) and Ted's excellent Halloween adventure. Now this time it has a title in there. It has another person in there, which is Bill and Ted meet Time Cop. Now Time Cop was from the same year, released in 1994. Uh, I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie Time Cop. Um, I have not. I think I watched it when I was... Have you seen it before, Tim? I definitely have not. <laughs> so so digging a little deep. So these early years of Bill and Ted, there's not much in, in way of kind of reporting on it. There's no real first-hand accounts and no real good videos back then. I, I call these the lost years because we're eventually going to get to a point where I've got two, three pages full of kind of uh, Bill and Ted notes. But yeah, this is one of the lost years. Um, time Cop was a time traveling, like a US federal agent. I, I had to Google this because I, I I can't even remember seeing it, but you kind of worked. Ash, you mean you didn't know something off the top of your head? <laughs> yeah, no, I had to Google this one, but it kind of, <laughs> so 1994, same year, it was a time traveling federal agent, which kind of fit into that time traveling, you know, Bill and Ted. Um, thing there and it was i think it was a this was distributed by universal pictures i think it was a joint effort with universal and another company i'm not 100 percent sure so they kind of had the rights to it anyway and i think this was the first year as well they kind of really dig deep into that pop culture like they used kind of things from the end of 93 the rest of 94 so they started really incorporating that pop culture which as everybody knows is like a mainstay of that now you know from from here on out but yeah so again can't really dive into it too much because no real reporting on this like i said one of those lost years um what we'll do as well i'll just kind of kind of go to the start of the event as well in terms of the the kind of dates and uh the times pricing that's always fun uh to look at as well so halloween horror nights four this is going to be an eight night event um, it, it had the three weekends leading up to Halloween and it was the longest event right now. So eight nights was the longest event by three whole days. So the, the previous record was five. Now it's eight. It also runs longer now to 1am and it also had four days in a row, the longest consecutive days, uh, in a row here. So, I mean, what does that, t- I mean, that, that to me just says there is a need for it. There is a demand for it. So we we're making it longer. We are had adding more days and making the consecutive nights longer. That we think, yeah, because it's like you know that sort of stuff has to be signed off by the higher ups and stuff, and you know with budgets and all that sort of stuff. I can imagine it'd be quite hard to get you know extra budget and things signed off for. So I could imagine to give a whole extra you know three days, um, in in longer, and then the consecutive run all in one year means that you know the executives knew that they were onto a good thing so yeah yeah no absolutely and then in terms of pricing as well very very similar to the year before so just to kind of compare it to 1993 uh it was just a single admission it was 35 dollars uh this year uh it was i think it was 36 yeah 36 so it's yeah. only gone up 
It's only gone up a dollar. And then the Florida residents this year got in as low um, as $26 in advance. Uh, the year before, it was twenty four ninety five in advance. So I'm, if you're giving me anything Halloween Horror Nights to get in as a Florida resident for $26, I am buying those tickets out. It's just, I mean, because I'm yeah. only paying for a single night right now. Is it like $60 roughly? $60, $70? I think that's like off-peak as well, right? Yeah. I was going to say it's more probably peak time. Yeah. I think I think you're talking close to $100 um, right now. Yeah. I think I think the what, 30, 30 in June is probably what you pay for a round, a round of beers at Horror Nights right now. So <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Now, into what I wanted to talk about as well, there was no, um, there was a lot of radio coverage, commercials with people going through the mazes etc what i did want to talk about is the event guide and the advertising um just because we had the pumpkin through a chainsaw for two years in a row we have now dropped that and we have got the kind of skull through if you haven't seen this i would goof people who are listening if you haven't seen it google it uh, it's kind of like the skull uh, through the universal archers with like bats in the background this i don't know what you guys i'm gonna i'm gonna bring it over to you now but this is probably one of my favorite designs they've ever done in my opinion i mean what's your thoughts on this he kind of looks like um uh from captain uh, america uh red skull oh the red right? skull right doesn't he kind of look like that yeah yeah a little to bit. me it, to me it just screams the gates of hell i mean right. yeah, it's it's pretty fantastic actually I've actually yeah. got this post on my, my office wall. It's, it's, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, out um, of all of the retro Horror Nights um, designs, I've got one, two, I've got eight up on the wall. I think that's probably one of my favorites. Yeah. And I think that's a good way of putting it, actually. The gates of hell. I didn't really, th- you know, I didn't think of that well, kind of analogy, but that's probably right, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, because it's at the, got the, the steps arch, up. Right in the arches with the steps, and then it's got the little. Yeah. Like, what are those? Yeah. Like little gremlins or Yeah, like gargoyles demons? kind of thing. They're the original gargoyles that were on the archers. And fun yeah. fact, they are now them gargoyles are now outside um the legacy store on City yeah. Walk. Oh uh, yeah, baby. Yep. Yeah, I did that's that's a good way. I I'd even you know what? I'd even notice the steps on there. I, I I like you, Gary, I have this on my wall. I'm looking at it right now, but uh, yeah, I didn't notice that, but that just makes complete sense that like you're walking into hell, if you will. Um, yeah pretty cool yeah um now this year as well was a first and i say that in quote marks the first official scare zone and yeah finally and the first official chainsaw drill team so they have been there they have had chainsaws in um some capacity but it is the first official scare zone and the first official chainsaw drill team so the it was one and only scare zone it was called horrorwood and it was located in the hollywood section uh, of the park and this is where the chainsaw drill team were we had the lizzie borden band um we had the axe court and we also had monks in the hood of um so name there but put, yeah they put this in a big area too so this had to have been pretty pretty good then is what I'm thinking, like spread out with all this. Because I know it says others. Um, I know you just mentioned monks, but do we know what else? Where was that at? 
Um, so I've I've got a I've got a I'm looking at a picture right now of the monks. Okay, They're in like cool. brown robes, and they had like one leader. It was in like a black robe. Their makeup was pretty pretty cool as well. And I do see the Lizzie Borden band. It was it's a bit of a strange one because it looks like a, a marching band you get like at a like a high school football game, but they dressed <laughs> as awful. Lizzie Borden. Like a, they dressed as axe murderers. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, just just <laughs> in a band. But um, yeah. But I think there's there is a picture on the sweet 16 so halloween horror night 16 website okay. um that has a picture of some of the scare actors that were there tim and there's um somebody dressed as like a, a pig like a demonic horse um and then like zombies witches so you, it, when you say others there were others in there um kind of a mixed bag really but yeah and apparently it was packed with scare actors there was really no room there was no safe haven well, in just think Hollywood, about, think about it. If it's only one scare zone, right? Because this is the first one. Mm-hmm. Think about what they did that year. They probably were like, "Yo, let's go all out and just put everybody in there." You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They probably did. Um, I, now, now I'm wishing, like, you know, we got to see this because this would have been incredible. And if you think about it now, you either had to go straight ahead and hit Robosaurus, or you had to take a right <laughs> and hit the scare zone. <laughs> You had no choice of getting away from anything, so well yeah. played, Universal. Yeah, and they they really made the um the you know how we have like area kind of sounds and stuff now, so they really used the sounds as well. So they had like evil laughter, they had like howling sounds coming from the street. They had their own soundtrack that they made, um, and they had like body parts hanging from trees around there uh, and trapped in cages, uh, things like that. So they, like, I think. I think you nailed it, Tim, when you said they were literally just, you know, throwing everything at a wall here, seeing what sticks. Yep, and then I exactly. think, I think it was such a big hit that this was the first scare zone they ever did. Well, officially, and it's just we've we've had a, we've had at least one scare zone every single year since. So nice. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna call this out now. So anybody that's listening, if you guys have pictures from this year, please share them with us. And tag us on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Uh, just because I want to see pictures. Definitely. Please. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, there's, there's only so much we can like research, and yeah, exactly. especially especially these early years. You know, it's just it's very very tough to find real I and mean, good quality pictures, videos, um, especially videos that stand the test of time as well. But yeah, please please send us to us. Um, we can we can always go over that in future episodes as well. So that's. That's cool. So yeah, it's pretty much, I guess, the um, scare zones all done. The first official one. Um, now let's get into, I guess, what we all go to horror nights for. Now it is the mazes or houses, and we've gone up to four, four mazes for the very, very first time. Uh, we had three last year, and it's a bit of a strange one because we go up to four, then we kind of lose a house uh, for the next coming years. But yeah, let's get into. The houses here. We'll start with. Let's see here. We'll start with the first on my list. Let's just do um, the. Let's do the boneyard. We'll start with the boneyard. Um, now the boneyard area. Everybody knows where that is, right? Like production central, where the big stage is. Yeah, music yeah. plaza. Yeah, that music plaza. Yep. yep. So, yeah. So basically, what the boneyard was. I know we've touched on it, but we're kind of going to go into what was in the maze as well. And we can kind of talk about it at the end. So the boneyard was a recently evacuated insane asylum. 
Uh, and basically, it's the worst of the worst that's left behind. Um, and then the facade of the house had like a gate that said condemned. And the boneyard, and it also had the Zimmerman Memorial Medical Center. So nice little homage uh, to Julian there as well. And then I have, for all these accounts, like I said, there's no good walkthroughs. There's no good videos or anything. So these are all first-hand accounts. I had to kind of dig, dig a little deeper. Uh, four, but from past accounts, it was said that one path of the maze was an asylum. So you had two paths. So one was like the asylum, like the worst of the worst. And the other one was more like uh, science fiction with mad scientists and clowns experimenting on victims. Um, so scare actors in ruined clothes, like straight jackets would jump out uh, on guests. And one intense scare, which a lot of people said, um, was like there was scare actors in shackles. Um, so for all intents and purposes, you're looking at a scare actor, they're in shackles, but then the strobes went in and out and there were three of the shackles. So they were kind of running at you. Like how horrific would that be? Oh my God. I'm thinking about that. Going, <laughs> please no. <laughs> like that um, would be very frightening to me. Yeah. So, and then, yeah. So you're looking at somebody and you're like, you're kind of, you're kind of safe, you know, they're in shackles, the strobes go on and off and nope, no, I'm not safe. They're, uh, they're free of the shackles now. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, so pretty cool there. And then there was also a machine in there called the grinder, uh, where the mad scientist could be seen disposing of body parts. Also there were cocoons hanging from ceilings that the guests had to kind of push past. Um, and apparently they were wet and sticky, pretty gross. Um, so it is obviously it's tough because the lack of kind of first-hand accounts back then to determine which scare actors were in which side of them. Um, but the nice thing about this is if you had the time, you can go through both entrances to experience both. It's kind of both sides of the story. They're both you know parts of the mazes. Um, so yeah, and this this is going to be a thing that Universal do a lot in the early days is having two separate paths. Uh, two of them, but what are we thinking about the boneyard? Is that something you'd like to go back and see? Other, isn't? Uh, absolutely. There's two. I mean, it's like two houses for one, right? Ex right. Exactly. I wish they would do that now. How cool! Even if they just brought this house back, it just sounds so awesome. It does. But yeah. I like it because now, I mean, I know it's four houses, but technically, you're really getting five because there's two paths in that one. Yeah, and they're totally different. Yeah. That's, so. Um, I think, yeah, this was this would be a good one uh, to go through. And then we're going to go on to a recurring uh, maze that we've had, um, which is the Dungeon of Terror. Uh, we've seen, seen three, three iterations of this now. Um, so, yeah, kind of going through this maze. So, and this is, again, all according to first-hand accounts. So at the entrance, there's a man in a long cloak kind of ushering guests inside. Um, the Rat Lady was back again. Uh, once again, located inside the floor. And we also had a snake master inside the maze who handled snakes, boa constrictors. Um, one room had a dentist scene with like that, you know, that horrible dentist drill sound. And then um, your water squirted onto the guests as they come back. Um, and then obviously remove the head of the victim. Another sequence was a walk through uh, the fog, like a Victorian garden, which would have been which would have been pretty cool to see. So you're walking through the fog, and there were scare actors kind of lurking in the fog as well. And then the finale was full of strobe lights, and there were scare actors dressed, uh, painted in black and white to kind of blend in with the strobes, blend in with the surroundings, and then obviously jump out here through the strobes as well, which would have been pretty pretty scary. And it was very very different to the first two iterations, but again, it was very very positively met. 
uh, by the fans as well. So Ching, it's a, it's the original, you know, maze they've done. They've kind of brought it back, but revamped it a little bit with, you know, the garden scene, the strobe lighting scene at the end. What are we thinking about this? The changes on it. I like it. Really do. Yep. Yeah, but they also, you know, and then they also bring some back, like the rat ladies there again too. So yep. it's not they're not totally getting away from their original thoughts on the first two. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, hey, let's just do a little something different, but you know, keep keep some of the the ones we yeah use, like, that that people like. So yeah, and I think for the for the people who uh who went from the original as well, it's always nice to see that returning because it because it it's such a hit. Yeah. It's always good to see that returning uh, maze as well. Um, now let's go on to the next maze. Uh, we'll do Hell's Kitchen. Um, oh, so sorry, the Dungeon of Terror uh, was located in the Earthquake queue. Um, so that wasn't Earthquake queue. The next one, Hell's Kitchen, is in the Nazemans area around the New York facades. Um, and this is... Um, th- this was... We talked about it the la- last couple of history shows. This was um, kind of erected if you will because of jaws being under construction they couldn't use the jaws the jaws queue uh like they did the original dungeon of terror um so they had to create another area i mean with all those sound stages you think they'd have some area to use uh but this was just more efficient just to stick some concrete down and make this into uh, a maze but again this was across from con- confrontation uh you'd enter this house via sting alley down there so we had a man eating live cockroaches could be seen through the window so as you kind of go in out into the facade before you even got in the house you can you can see a man eating live cockroaches outside um it's a nice welcome sight and then (laughs) (laughs) now above the facade there was a sign that said hell's kitchen butcher shop and meat packing There's, there's a very very good picture online of that as well uh outside uh the hell's kitchen and then the theme of it was a cannibalistic butcher shop. Um, the house was said to be very, very hot inside uh, with a strong smell of rotten meat. Uh, body parts were strewn around the maze in heaps and also dangled from the ceiling, like wet and sticky again for guests to kind of push past. Uh, we also had the Roachman returning um, this maze as well. He was in the people under the stairs before, uh, but he was located behind a glass case with roaches all over him. Uh, also dead bodies were hanging from hooks. Some of them were scare actors. Obviously, you know, those, you walk past them, there's like models of people and one of them's going to pop out and be a, be a scare actor. And then there's also one very memorable scare actor. So in the forums, everyone mentioned this. There was like a real huge scare actor, well over six foot, like a hunchback head chef and a cook uh, that was towards the end who kind of chase you out with a chainsaw at the end. So to me, this just sounds like crazy chainsaw, blood everywhere, kind of the uh, the blood house, if you will, if that makes sense. Yeah, this seems like the the gory one of the the bunch, right? Yeah, just blood everywhere. Um, you know, people chasing you, bodies everywhere, body parts everywhere, just being hot, sticky, smell very uncomfortable is what I would say um, for this maze. But yeah, and then the lastly. In terms of the mazes, we have the Psychopath Maze. Um, so yeah, a returning a returning maze. Uh, we had a Psycho uh, last year. Uh, we have a return of the Psychopath Maze, which was located at the Bates Motel. Um, unfortunately, we won't have that again. Um, it's not there anymore. 
But yeah, so one famous room was called, and this was called the closet, uh, where Norman's mother would lurk between clothes and then jump out on on guests. There was also a kitchen scene where Norman was hidden in a cupboard, and then he would jump out as his mother. Um, another room, there was a picture of the fireplace that a scare actor would appear from. And then one of the final rooms was the, you know, we can't have a psycho, you know, maze without the one famous shower scene. Um, and Norman's going to be in there dressed as his mother. Um, and then we have the, the iconic psycho music playing. And then there's other Normans, you know, like this year we had, um, Sorry, sorry about this, Gary. But the te- you know the Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre house him where there was like four leather faces on the way out. Yeah, yeah. S- same same kind of deal. Like on your left, on your right, there was like three, four Normans dressed as his mother, kind of kind of coming at you from either side. Um. So yeah, and then uh, we also have a graveyard and an attic in there as well. And according to um, the Orlando Sentinel as well, back then there was also a black and white room, uh, completely black and white to kind of add just a different touch in there as well but similar to one we've already had but just just iconic i mean just to see a cycle house at the event would be pretty cool i think definitely yeah i would love to see uh some kind of hitchcock come back for a house yeah mm-hmm. i think i think one of us i think it was on our wish one of the you know where we did the wish list kind of event i think somebody had i think it might have been hit- me yeah, was it was it like a Hitchcock? I was think it, it was. was it, yeah, I think it was you. I'd like the Hitchcock kind of, you know, like you you walk through and every, and each one's like a different movie, if you will. Yeah, like a sort of slaughter cinema type. Each each right. room's a different movie. Yeah, so yeah, I think I think that was me. I'll have to dig the the map out yeah. and, and have a look. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I think I think Psycho itself does make a good maze. There's a lot of iconic scenes in like the franchise to make a full maze out of it but yeah that'd be pretty cool to see a hitchcock um and a house there as well but yeah i mean that wraps up the mazes uh for the year so just to kind of um reiterate we had the boneyard located in the boneyard area of universal we had the dungeon of terror returning again in the earthquake queue we had hell's kitchen in the nasermans area and we also had a return of the psychopath maze the Bates Motel area. Okay, I'm going to ask you, let's start. Tim, first, if you, well, you do have a time machine. You just kind of went back, but let's say you had another time machine. <laughs> Which one are you seeing? You only, you, only get, you only have a ticket to one haunted house. Which one are you spending it on? Ooh, this is tough. Yeah. I guess it depends, because if I went back to the other ones, I could have done a couple of them already. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh yeah, it's a good point. Like if you could have done like the psychopath right. maze or anything. Yeah, Correct. okay. And, okay. and Dungeon of Terror too. Yeah. So um ooh, I think it would be the boneyard just because of the um the crazy two different paths. Oh, you're cheating because you get two mazes in one. That's right. So that's, <laughs> that's what exactly I'm what I was gonna say. So <laughs> that's what I'm going with. <laughs> cool. Are you you the same? Yeah, yeah. Before Tim said that, I was like, Boneyard, because if if you only go to one house, I'm using that loophole and I'm getting two houses. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. But I think, do you know what, though? I think I would choose the Boneyard, too. I I think going into the catacombs of like an excavated insane asylum, that's the kind of tagline. Like, there's, there's a reason, right? Asylums always work in movies. There's a reason why asylums are always the creepiest part of a video game, right? It's, yeah. It's 
it's because they work. And probably um, another another reason I would choose that is because of the location of it. Yeah, you, you can't. I know. I mean, I know the Bates Motel isn't there now. However, you're you're not going to be able to go through Halloween Horror Night House in that location because it's not there. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, so I think that's, that's a good point. That, that would be pretty cool to be, you know, walking through the steps of where Music Plaza is now, but in in a house. Yeah, something something different because I know there's a couple of obviously we don't use like Nasermans anymore, but you can still walk down there. You know, we yeah. don't have we don't have the earthquake queue anymore, obviously, but we have like Fast and the Future. You can still walk down it. But yeah. I think that's, that's a good point completely. I mean, that area's completely gone now. So yeah, that's a good point to kind of see, you know, the boneyard in that kind of area is pretty cool. But yeah, that's pretty much it then for rides and attractions, shows, scare zones, haunted houses. So just to kind of, for you guys listening, in like the early days, it is kind of tough to kind of get, you know, a, you know, a ton of information on these. But once we get to the the years where a lot more is documented, a lot of people have a lot more kind of physical media of it as well, it gets a little, a little easier. Um, but yeah, I just want to touch on kind of miscellaneous things, uh, which are just a couple of like newspaper uh, things as well, and a couple of uh, housekeeping bits at the end. So there was a bulletin. Universal Studios News Bulletin, which usually comes out prior to the event. Uh, but this, again, was released October the 14th, uh, 1994. So that was, I think that was that the first day, was it 14th? Yeah, so it was the day um, the start. So it says, uh, and it had five photos as well with the Chainsaw, obviously Chainsaw Drill Team. It said, uh, the annual October event at Universal Studios, Halloween Horror Nights returns better than ever, backed by popular demand. The Chainsaw Drill Team is once again armed with their blood-curdling machines. They join the Lizzie Borden Band and the Monks in the Hood on Universal's Hollywood Boulevard, the place where screams come true. So I think back, back by popular demand is probably the biggest thing that kind of jumps out there because we've gone from five, you know, five nights to eight nights. So it's definitely by popular demand now. And they are really plugging that um, first scare zone as well. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then they also, an attempt to drive crowds as well, Universal did liaise with the Orlando Sentinel, which is, which, I'm not sure, Tim, is it is it still, because it was at the time the largest newspaper in Central Florida, uh, is it still the lot? I assume it would be, right, the Orlando Sentinel? <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Tim. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. <laughs> He's got his mic on mute. <laughs> I'm on mute. God damn it! I said I would think it is. I, I don't. I don't think there's any other newspaper out there, really. Okay, that's that makes that just makes sense. And then so, and they also liaise with the Central Florida Future magazine as well. And it said a little article. This was like early October. It says in the haunted houses and on the streets, monsters and other strange visions lurk in the shadows. Some uh, some scary creatures will chase people, and others just stare. Visitors will be smart to watch out for a mental guy with a chainsaw. The effects are so realistic; it may be difficult to realize that none of this is real. Um, so that was early October, obviously trying to get the local. Because this was really aimed at local people, um, kind of foraying into Georgia as well a little bit, um, but just those local newspapers to drum up um, a bit of attendance levels as well. And also, Tim, as well, uh, you kind of touched on the Ghoul School, which was a kind of Horror Nights 
kind of says what it is. It's just a school where you would go to learn how to be a scare actor. Uh, and they had like an itinerary, which is, which is awesome uh, to look at because it has, um, it says here, there are schools of fish and schools of thought. I put a school for ghouls. Universal Studios Florida's Ghoul School is a fun, informative training session for a defrightful cast of monsters and misfits who will put the screams into this year's Halloween Horror Nights. It's also an essential and practical exercise in basic ghoul training. New recruits are schooled in ghoulish behavior, including scare tactics such as the proper walk, talk, and attitude, and the art of haunting from an elite fleet of professors and maniacally skilled craftsmen. And then it says some of the courses offered at Google School include, and this is just funny, so Advanced Monster Makeover 401, and it kind of tells you what they're going to do. We have Costume Design and Wardrobe, and again, tells you what they're going to do there. Walk Like a Zombie was a lesson. Um, and then these, um, it says, upon successful completion of training and passing their courses with dyeing colors, I love all these puns through this. Um, so commencement takes place for these classes, and then it gives the dates of Halloween Horror Nights. So you essentially had to kind of pass a pass a test to be a scare actor. And, and then Julie Zimmerman and the crew, they did incorporate this school school. So what do you think here? They are definitely taking this seriously. Absolutely. Oh yeah, for sure. I have a question though. Mm-hmm. Do we know, is this something that has continued today? That's a, that's, a, that's a great question. Do you know who would know? Luke. Why'd you have to be sick, Luke? Come on. Um... <laughs> yeah i don't I, do, I don't know it's a good point i'm just um, curious because i mean i feel like like we don't hear anything about that and i feel like we haven't heard anything from you know especially some of our friends that have been scare actors in the past so i'm just wondering if there is some kind of form of this training or schooling if you will because i think i don't know i think that's pretty amazing that they did this back then i'd imagine maybe it's for like the actual scare side of things but isn't a lot of like the Makeup and costuming all sort of contracted out now. Possibly, I feel like uh, I've yeah, seen loads know, I, of loads I of posts that... and blogs about makeup artists coming from other companies. Yes, um, I was actually to... just going to say, I'm pretty sure that, especially with the makeup, uh, the makeup artists, they definitely do that. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think it's all done in house. Where now, like back in the day, I'd imagine like every single thing was done in house. Yeah, I think so. And they, they know right now they've got a hit on the hands for sure with, with this. I mean, and on this ghoul school as well is like a second page. And it, and it does say here, due to an out of this world demand by sellout crowds in 92 and 93, Universal's internationally renowned Halloween Horror Nights has expanded to include eight nights and then gives all the dates as well. So they're even saying there, listen, this event is sold out last two years. Um, we are now increasing it to eight nights just by so much popular demand. We are treating this, we know we've got a hit on our hands. We are treating this very, very seriously. And we are starting it by this ghoul school where we are training people to do the correct thing where scare acts. Because you can't just go out and just scare act and just be, you know, just just do what you're doing. You've got to, you've got to put in the work and that's why they had a school. You've got to pass, pass a test, if you will. So yeah, really, really cool uh, to see that. But yeah, it will be fun to see if they do, you know, something. Uh, like that again but yeah that's pretty much it for i guess the media uh, side of it as well um i wanted to talk about the name of it as well because we have it's a bit of a mouthful 
we have the fourth annual Universal Studios Florida Halloween Horror Night. So <laughs> everything's in there. You know, it's the fourth annual, even though Fright Night, they've, they've kind of divorced themselves from that Fright Night name now. Um, whatever legal issues they had, for whatever reason, they've kind of divorced it. We're saying this is the fourth annual Halloween Horror Night, even though it's kind of the third, if you will. Um, it's at Universal Studios, Florida. It's Halloween Horror Night. It's the fourth annual. They're kind of chucking everything into it. Uh, and the tagline for it was uh, party beyond your wildest scream. So they are going back to that Halloween party. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that's, that's pretty much it in terms of this. Going forward now is going to be pretty interesting. Um, just of a kind of tidbit for you guys as well. And you, uh, Tim and Gary, we are going to get our, in my opinion, our first official icon next year. Um, yeah. So, so we're going to be going to our first official icon. And we also, yeah. And we also have a, we also have a kind of tagline because this tagline was uh, part of beyond your wildest screams, but we're going to get a kind of run now. Uh, of at least five, six years where a tagline is actually going to be part of the actual name of the event as well. So kind of first icon. So things are changing. You know, we're going to get that first licensed icon coming soon. I'm I'm not going to spoil it, but I think obviously you guys know what's coming, but yeah. So with that coming uh, to an end, so this must, this event, because we know what's coming guys, this event must've done so well just to kind of license out I guess property as well. What are you thinking here? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, that's pretty much it for 1994. Um, and I'm I'm excited for like the years coming because as like technology and stuff progresses and already know for next year, we've already got the commercial um, ready available that we can, you know, watch and put in the show and stuff. And as we get more and more on, we can find more pictures and more videos. Um, and I think that'll add a whole lot to the show. But like, Ash yeah. says the the lost years are the information's hard to come by. So yeah. again, Ash, we really appreciate you. You know, I know you spend hours doing this and making sure all the facts are right because there's no point yeah. talking about it if we're going <laughs> to get it wrong. Um, so again, just thank you because uh, the the effort that you put in is is greatly appreciated. Yeah, of course, it's always it's always fun to do as well because these things obviously I don't know, and it's always fun to see kind of things that went on back then. But like you said, it's going to get to a point where we have so much firsthand experience and firsthand accounts that we're going to know everything. Um, So these kind of history episodes will probably get a little bit longer and longer. Um, You know, maybe even in the future, we might have to split these episodes into two parts because there's going to be so much information in the future. But yeah, so much much fun to kind of go back uh, and see and very excited for the future of the history events as well. Definitely, definitely. So on that note, it's time to wrap the show up. I'm going to put Tim on the spot. Where can people find us? I have no idea. Uh, (laughs) RIP to our podcast, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. There it is. Yep. And we also have uh, T-shirts and hoodies and And other stuff on our spreadsheet. Yep. We've just took delivery of... Um, this season's buttons, we've decided to go with a different design every year because I, th- I think it, it makes it better for people um, who like to collect them, sort of like the annual pass holder buttons that Universal did. Um, so we've got a brand new design. And if you've noticed yes. on Twitter, 
we have also changed our um our profile picture and our banner to match the new buttons so very excited uh spice things up a little bit but yes uh, we are now on tiktok if you didn't know and uh we have brady running that so excited to get that going mainly this season although we do have a few videos on there so definitely check it out and uh, guys, and, I think. Sorry, Quantum. I was going to say, and the TikTok. I don't think it got posted, but um, I will make sure it gets posted. But we did do a TikTok in the Universal Monsters tribute store. Uh, oh, cool! There the other day, so hopefully, nice. um, I will get that up over the next day or so. Yeah, and I think I think pretty soon we should just do a live stream on YouTube and just hang out with everybody. I like yeah. that. Let's do it. That, yeah. That'd be cool. And, and as well, um. We're not perfect, but we're trying to get more active in the Discord. Um, I know, I know, a lot of you guys are starting to become active. We've got, I think, around fifty members in there now. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, um, I do need to be more active myself. Um, but there is a few guys, you know, who are and people who are commenting there, so very appreciative. Um, I will post another link out because I believe they do expire. I think after seven days, the the links to yes. join. Right. Um, but we do have a Discord where we have different topics from horror movies to just general chat to talking about the current horror night years, uh, horror Halloween horror night event and the past years. Um, so there's different different rooms for different you know topics, um, and it, it's a lot of fun talking about some some movies and all that sort of good stuff. So definitely come and join, because um, like I always say, podcasts and such a one way stream. We want to be able to talk back to you guys and obviously the Discord and doing live streams, I think, is the perfect way. Yeah, so, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Anything else to add, guys? Uh, no, I think pretty much covered everything. The only thing I missed on here that I have at the bottom of my notes is the partnership this year. 1994 moved away from Pepsi for this year to Doritos. So, <gasps> you, yeah. So if you wanted to get if you wanted to get a little bit cheaper ticket, you can buy a um packet of the doritos to get the um but do you know what now i'm thinking i really would like a universal kind of monsters dorito packet with this logo on it as well but i'll never be able to get that ever again so i'm sad now yeah so because i know i know me and you ash have been on the old ebay hunt for for all universal and, and horror nights i've just scored two park maps from what year are they from 95 i think yeah no, um because one of them is it because one of them has a halloween horror nights advertisement in it, it is as well, it is so. number six i think it's the uh it's the journey into fear uh once yeah. it, is, it is 96 and, and i have seen a a, Cri- a crypt keeper from tales from the crypt like it's like a bud light <laughs> halloween sound that i want but it's a hundred dollars so we'll see <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, we're going to wrap that up here. Thanks for listening. Um, again, we're trying to do something totally different to what other people are doing, just so you've got a bit of variety with the, the audiobook style, and, and we like doing it as well. So thanks for Tim for recording this this uh, this year's um, audiobook style section. And thanks for listening. Appreciate it. And now you can also rate us on Spotify, um, the feature that we've been wanting for ages. You can now do it, and we are currently sitting at a five-star rating. So thank you. Everybody who's yeah, uh, everybody. who's awesome. rated. So that is going to do it for us. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you in the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.